Exodus 31, we have as our portion the whole chapter, which we will seek by God's help to hear preached. So let us ask him for that help. Our Father in heaven, if the help of your spirit and the filling of your spirit was necessary just for men to make things out of fabric and metal and wood correctly. How much more do we need now the help of your spirit? For him who preaches, Lord, oh, have mercy by your spirit. Give light to the mind and uh, liberty to preach correctly and with boldness. And for all of us who hear, O Lord, give us the help of your Spirit to hear with faith that we might give up our hearts and thoughts unto you to be instructed by your word, give us understanding so that we may uh, apprehend that which we hear, Uh, give us the stirring of our hearts towards you that we would be moved, give us conviction commitment to do what you instruct, that you would be glorified, that your word would be preached and heard even the way we heard about in the scripture this morning, uh, boldly and with reasoning and with convincing and conviction, and that you would be glorified in producing the fruit of Christ-likeness in your people by the work of your spirit with your word. So for all of these things, we ask unto your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 31, these are the words of God. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, indeed, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the laver and its base, the garments of ministry, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests, and the anointing oil and sweet incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, 
for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he made and he had and when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. As far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word, we look to Him to add His blessing to the preaching in the hearing of it. Well, verse 18 reminds us that this passage, this chapter, is functioning uh, as a conclusion to something that began in chapter 25, uh, when Moses went up the mountain by himself uh, to receive instruction uh, that he would give, and it has covered especially the instruction about the construction of the tabernacle. This is the conclusion uh, to the instructions about all of those pieces of furniture, about the tent itself, uh, the things that are summarized here uh, from verse 7 through verse 11. And as a conclusion of it, he gives us not just the conclusion of Exodus 25 through 31, but in a sense a conclusion of the whole story of God's creation of and work among his people up until this point. And we see that in, by combining verse 17 and verse 18 at the end of our passage. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, etc. And so the story of God's working among humanity so far is that he has created a people to be in his image. He created as an act of work over six days. Even though many people who want to argue against how the Bible said says that God created, argue against it by uh, talking about what God could have done. I believe God could create everything just in a moment. Well, you're correct. He could. But the question is not what could he do, but what did he do? And the one who tells us about what did he do is God himself. And so there's that begs the question, well, why? Why didn't God just create everything in a moment? Why did he take six days? Why did he take six days and use things that he made to make other things? 
Why have the ground bring things forth and the sea bring things forth? Why, when he's, uh, he's about to make man, does he fashion, does he form man's body from the dust of the earth? Why would God get down and dirty and do things like work? Well, in part because he's making people in his image and he's going to give them to image him by doing things like work. And so when it comes to the tabernacle, this place where God remakes his dwelling among men, recalls for us even the, the visual images of Eden with the, uh, with, you remember, the tree lamp and the pomegranates that are embroidered, and not just Eden as it was, but that to which Eden looked forward with all of the gold overlay and the, the candlelight that would shine and uh, give that otherworldly, heavenly, rich display. That even as God is producing that, this tabernacle that is joining Eden from the beginning of his dealings with men in the Bible to the new Jerusalem, uh, the, uh, the heaven that is to come, the tabernacle holding on to those two things, God's dwelling place with man. He dwelt with man. Man walked with him in the garden. The end of the Bible, the uh, the great announcement will be God's dwelling place is with men. And now in the tabernacle, he has redeemed the people and he's dwelling in the midst of them. And in producing that tabernacle, he gives his people the privilege of working. And so we have in this passage, uh, really it divides uh, fairly evenly in verses 1 through 11. Verses 1 through 11, we have the uh, God's blessing his people to image him in work. And in verse 12 through 18, God's blessing his people to image him in worship. First, God's blessing his people to image him in work. We've just considered and thought for a moment that God doesn't need our help. Uh, he doesn't need our help creating everything in six days. And he didn't need, as it were, Moses' help either in making, uh, making the two stone tablets, did he? Did you notice, children, who wrote or who made the tablets? And it says it was written with the finger of God. Now I wonder if there are any well enough instructed children in here who can tell me whether God really has fingers. Can you see God? No, I cannot see God. Oh. I cannot see God, but he always sees me. Uh, it was earlier in the children's catechism. What is God? And the children's catechism question is, God is a spirit and has not a body like men. He doesn't have actual fingers. And yet he talks about how he made the tablets using the imagery of finger, using the imagery of work, uh, almost as if to say it wasn't Moses' fingers and it wasn't Moses' tools. God can make tablets with writing on them in stone 
all by himself. He doesn't actually need us. And yet, he is pleased and gracious and merciful to employ us anyway, to give us the privilege of being used by him in the work that we do. And uh, this he underlines in the very beginning of the passage by telling us what he has done for Bezalel and Aholiab and the other ones who are with him. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom. Now, I think sometimes we have uh, this almost insane idea that uh, spiritual things, things uh, pertaining to uh, God's actions upon the soul or, or the actions of our souls that honor and please God, those are things that you learn from the Holy Spirit. But earthly things, material things, things like uh, planting uh, you know, when to uh, till your garden and starting the seeds inside and all the sorts of things that, um, you know, my wife and daughters are much better at than I am, that those are things that you learn from the creation. Now, you learn those things by means of the creation. But there's no such thing as any wisdom that doesn't come from God. Even in the creation itself, God communicates to us that the Holy Spirit is the one who rules over and sustains all things at all times by giving us that image of God creating the heavens and the earth and the Spirit of God doing what? Hovering over, brooding over, like a hen over her chicks, hovering over the waters. Indeed, Psalm 104 tells us that if God withdraws his Spirit, everything would just cease, would perish immediately. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit who must give us life to believe in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who comes and dwells in the heart of the one who believes in Jesus Christ and convinces us that God is our Father, our Abba, and leads us uh, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as the Spirit of Christ and, uh, and being led by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body and all those wonderful things uh, such as we find uh, in Romans chapter 8. Uh, about the Holy Spirit. But it is the Holy Spirit from whom all life comes. There's not some generic abstraction of life out there that isn't given by the living God and God the Holy Spirit. It's from the Holy Spirit that all wisdom comes. And so in imaging God to do this work, there was a dependence upon the Holy Spirit And he tells us very specifically, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. You see, there was once a man named Jacob, and he got conned by his uncle into marrying two daughters instead of one. And the two daughters had this arms race of babies to try and compete for which one could be more loved by the husband. And in that arms race of babies, there were three disappointments named Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, not because they were disappointing, but because the mama who thought that her husband would love her did not, uh, found that her husband uh, did not 
see her uh, and, uh, uh, and love her uh, after having borne him three sons. So when she bore the fourth son, she named him Praise, saying she would just praise God. She had given up on the affection of Jacob. She's just going to praise God. And what a wonderful name Judah is, but Judah doesn't turn out to be a wonderful guy at first. And he does things like uh, commit adultery with his daughter-in-law because he thinks she's a prostitute. And yet God saves him. And God brings him to a place of leadership among his brothers where he ends up saving, uh, being an instrumental in saving Joseph's life. And then God gives this redeemed sinner the blessing of, uh, of being prophesied to be the one from whom the Christ would come, the one from whom Shiloh would come, uh, and the scepter, the rule of God on earth would end up never departing from his house. And this guy named Judah had a whole bunch of descendants. And in his, among his descendants, there was uh, one named Hur. Uh, and Hur had a boy named Uri. And Uri had a boy named Bezalel. And God decided from before the world began that this Bezalel from this family of this sinner that had been redeemed by this grace would end up being by the filling of the Holy Spirit, a master workman to design artistic works and work in gold and in silver and bronze and cutting jewels for setting and carving wood. It was the Holy Spirit who did that. It was the Holy Spirit who filled Bezalel for that. Now, God did not tell Moses and he has not necessarily, he hasn't told me, not, 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 not necessarily, and told me by name what part of his work in this world he has called each of you to. But he has not any less called you to the part that he has given you in your family, whether you are the first in your family who ever came to faith in Jesus Christ or whether he has been working by his grace to redeem sinners for generations in your family and the part that you're going to have in your household and the part that you're going to have in this church or other churches and the part that you're going to have and whom you're going to marry and what the Lord is going to bring from that and all those who are going to hear about him or see the, the transforming power of Jesus Christ and the way that you live your life. But he has no less called you by name to all of those things. He has not no less called you by name to do your math homework in the morning and your chores, you know, fold the laundry tomorrow afternoon or whatever it is in your life. And it is no less by the ministry of the Holy Spirit to you that you must do those things as it is by the ministry of the Holy Spirit that you must kill sin or grow in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and kind, kindness and gentleness and self-control. He calls by name each one to his specific work. And that's the case, of course, in a very highlighted way here in the tabernacle with Bezalel getting uh, several verses of press from verse 2 to verse 5 and then Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, something similar, and all the wise, wise ones 
or as it says here, gifted artisans, but it's just the name, the word for wisdom just appears uh, something like three times over the space of six words here uh, in different forms. That they may make all that I have commanded you. You see, God worked because he was going to create those who bore his image to work and were only able to work by his spirit. He sustains us in doing and making and working things. And uh, there are, we're not going to go over all the instances of it, but the primary verb uh, that appears throughout this passage and is translated a bunch of different ways uh, both in verses 1 through 11 and in verses 12 through 18 uh, is a verb for to do or to make or to work. It's the same verb. And as we do those things, he sustains us in that workmanship to which he has called us. He sustains them very particularly in the making of the tabernacle. To that workmanship at the end of verse 3, to that workmanship at the end of verse 5. And those are not the the same uh, form of the verb. The other verb is much more common. This one uh, is uh, a, little, um, uh, a little less common, and it's a different word. And it's repeated at the beginning of verse 15, which, where they translated uh, work, uh, although it's that workmanship word or that word that's translated workmanship at the end of verse 3 and the end of verse 5, and we'll get there. You see, God from all eternity is not working. God in and of himself is complete. When he creates, he does something outside of himself for the first time. And he gives us to image him in working, first of all. All of these things that he makes uh, and that he has ordained to be used for their fellowship with him, to have God dwell among them by way of worship and his presence in the tabernacle and all the atonement and the consecration and everything we've been hearing about for the last several months uh, in Exodus 25 uh, through 30. We now hear in Exodus uh, 31. He is filling men with his spirit to do work. Although he could have done it himself, he's giving men to image him in the work that he calls them to do. So imaging God in work. But then there's this very interesting uh, insertion of the reminder about the Sabbath. And it is in the context of the building of the tabernacle specifically. And you always spoke to Moses saying, speak also to the children of Israel saying, surely my Sabbaths you shall keep. Verse 14, you shall keep the Sabbath. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. Whoever does any work, and that's the the more common word, on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work, or workmanship, that's the less common word, shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work, and that's the doing, making, creating word, Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. And he's talking about it in the context of the building of the tabernacle. 
I mean, if anyone could ever excuse themselves and say, well, you know, I really believe that this is, this is spiritual work. This is religious work. This is church work. After all, I'm working on it. Don't you know God told Moses that I had been called by name and filled with his spirit to do this? And he comes in verse 12 through 18 and he says, no. There is something greater. There is a way uh, in which we image God that is greater than imaging him in work. And it's imaging him in worship. Here they have the tabernacle, the ark, the mercy seat, the furniture of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the lampstand, its utensils, the altar of incense, the burnt offering with all its utensils, the labor, its base, the priestly garments, the anointing oil, the sweet incense. And of none of those things does God say, it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you will know that it is Yahweh who sanctifies you. It's of the Sabbath that he says it. It's of the setting aside of the work. Any work whatsoever, but even this work of fashioning and constructing the tabernacle. Because adoration and fellowship and being joined one to the other in this blessed unity, that is something that exists in God. And so it is of a higher order. You know, sometimes people who have discovered for the first time that working is something that we do in the image of God, they will fall off the other side of the horse. They'll say, see, work is worship just like anything else. But that's not what God says. God gives a special place to his Sabbath, to his assembly, to that acting directly upon him that we do when we hear his word and when we sing his praise and when we call upon him in prayer and we feed upon Christ together, supping at the table, or when he puts his mark on us in baptism, there is a direct acting upon the creator rather than the creation. And he did that. He gave them that even from the beginning, even from the creation. He reminds us of it in verse 17, doesn't he? In six days, Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. And then he adds something, doesn't he? Because that's the way we're accustomed to hearing it. But he adds, and was refreshed. Do you think God was tired? Was he worn out at the end of those six days? And he just, oh man, I need to be refreshed. God isn't tired. Jesus tells us why, doesn't he? God rested. He said the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made by God for man. He rested from creating all those other things in order that he might give us to be refreshed by imaging him, not just in working, which he did uh, to make us and to give us the privilege of imaging him when we work, but by worshiping, which is a way of imaging how God is in himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity, adoring the Father 
and the Son and the Spirit adoring one another, delighting in one another, in fellowship with one another. And that's what we are being redeemed for. That's what we're created for. You know, there's something here that even the holy angels don't get. Angels do work. Angels are moral. Angels praise God. But there is not a mutual delighting in and being delighted in. There is not a fellowship with God, even the way that Adam had. In the way that he was created and uh, in that Christophany in which God forms his body out of the ground, but then a manifestation of God, a display of God himself. We call it a Christophany because it's a pre-incarnation appearance of, of the Lord Jesus breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And there is an intimacy and a fellowship in the way that man interacts with God and God interacts with man that isn't even given to the holy angels. They're not made in God's image. And then it's heightened by our redemption because the only way you can be saved is by what? Believing in Jesus Christ. And when you believe in him, the way that you are saved is by him, by being united to him. You're joined to him through faith. And it's not just his righteousness as if, you know, Something so infinite and marvelous as his righteousness. You could say just his righteousness. It's not just his righteousness that you receive. It's him and all that is his. Yes, his righteousness, his death, his life, his spirit whom he gives you to apply his character to you. And particularly that his joy might be in us. He came so that his joy might be in us. That joy that he has from all eternity in his divine nature and that it is perfectly reflected, expressed, and experienced in his human nature. And so the Sabbath is a sign. The Sabbath is the sign. Not the tabernacle, not any piece of the tabernacle. Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. There are all these pictures of sanctification. There are all these actions that they are to do in their sanctification. But it's not the oil that sanctifies them. And it's not the incense that sanctifies them. It's not the sacrifice that sanctifies them. And it's not the tabernacle that sanctifies them. And it's not the box that, sa- the, the ark of the testimony, the box that sanctifies them. And it's not the lid on the box, the, the mercy cover that sanctifies them. And it's not the lampstand and it's not the table and it's not the incense altar. It is the Lord himself who sanctifies them. And then he repeats the sign language, verse 17. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. You see, what you are to believe, children, is not merely that you are holy and set apart because God has put you in his church. He has. He has put a sign upon you by making the water of baptism to be poured on you on earth. He's done that too. But it's the Lord Himself who sanctifies you. It's the Lord Himself who sets you apart. 
Which means that when we keep the Lord's Day together, when we keep the Sabbath together, that Sabbath keeping that remains, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, it's in part God saying, all of the things that you have from me in the church are to point you to the fact that having me, having God himself, is the one great necessary thing. You think without God himself, any of the tabernacle and its furniture and the priesthood and the procedures, you think any of that would make any difference? Well, you must have God himself. You must trust in Jesus Christ and have his spirit joining you to joining you to Jesus by faith and working out the life and heart and mind of Jesus Christ in you because it's God who makes you holy. And that's why one day a week still, we put everything else aside. We don't say, well, I consider it church work or I consider it religious work or this is for uh, the building up of that. or No, even the tabernacle was not to be constructed. So you spend the day worshiping God himself, acting upon him himself. How serious was God about this? That, that's the other complaint, right? One, you know, those who consider it a burden, like the Israelites in Isaiah 58, considered a, a day set apart to God to be a burden. Look at how miserable we are. You know, uh, you know, now pay us back with the stuff we're asking for. He says, no, 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 that's not, that's not the fast that God wants, Isaiah 58. So, so on, on the one hand, you get the, you mean I don't get to, and then fill in the blank. And whenever someone says that, you know, suppose that, that a couple of weeks ago when we were leaving in Florida, this didn't actually happen, but uh, suppose that dear Sophia was playing with something and, uh, and I had told her, honey, you need to put that down and get in the car. We have to go. That's not what, ha- what happened is the whole family was in the car and I was still packing my, my stuff in the cars, plural. Um, but suppose I had said that and she said, you mean I don't get to play with my little plastic thing from China? Or, you know, or whatever it is. You know, how foolish we are that we take what the Lord's Day is set apart for, that we would image him now, not just in working, which is a privilege, imaging him the other six days, but image him in that fellowship with him that draws upon something that is more inherent even to him himself. And we get a whole day of that and we see, you mean I don't get to? And whatever else we're going to fill in the blank with, it's much worse by comparison than the plastic thing from China is to vacationing in Florida. And there'll be those who they don't they don't just like they don't just resist the commandment, they resist the intensity of the commandment. God's pretty serious about this one, isn't he? Everyone who profanes it you shall surely be put to death, verse fourteen. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people, verse fourteen. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, verse 15, he shall surely be put to death. The Lord's pretty serious about it, isn't he? Because it's a sign between him and his people that it is he who sanctifies us. That we exist 
in order to image him. And that even when we had fallen, he redeemed from among sinful humanity a people by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might be restored to imaging him in enjoying him. God give, may God give us grace to image him in all of our work as his spirit helps us in everything we do, but especially that we would image him in adoring him, in the fellowship of our worship with him, our worship to him, fellowship with him of our worship to him, and especially on his holy day. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we have been so foolish, living ignorantly, forgetting that all of our working is an opportunity to image you, to take delight in doing and making and creating. As those who you made uh, so that we might be patterned after you and how we do those things, we do pray that in the six out of seven days, you would give us this awareness Uh, that it is your spirit who helps us and that it is you whom we imitate in all of our working. But Lord, we have been even more foolish when it comes to your Sabbath and the way that we have approached it. We have treated uh, your day as if it was all about the list of what we can do and what we can't do. And we have not uh, received it as a gift of entering into fellowship, uh, the fellowship that we have with you in worship so that we may image you in a higher way even than work. And so we pray that your spirit would bless us with, um, by the preaching of your word, which we have just read and which we have heard preached, and that you would uh, grow us up into Christ, that we would be conformed to his image, that even as he loved to work because you were working so also we would love you and enjoy you with the love and enjoyment that Christ has in you. For we ask it in his name. Amen.